Did you know that the human maternal brain is governed by plastic? Plastic brain networks, that is. We're going to talk about it, but first. The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. It's not medical advice, it's medical information. We'll talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your water, coffee, tea, wine. I have a bit of a cold right now, so I am sipping some herbal tea. And let's go. Hello and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I am so happy that you are joining me today because I really look forward to chatting with you and I love it when we chat. Last episode, we talked about how to advocate for yourself at a doctor's visit, and I cannot stress enough how I wish this wasn't necessary and that you could always show up any old kind of way and be taken seriously. However, that is not the case. Just tonight, I went to a book signing of Dr. Uche Blackstock's memoir, Legacy, the story of losing her pioneering physician mother and the racism and bias that affects the health of Black Americans. And as she spoke, she reiterated things that many Black physicians, such as myself, know all too well. While this is a complex issue that needs to be addressed on multiple fronts, I'm starting with you because... I have access to you because we chat. The goal of that episode was to equip you with some tools to better advocate for yourself. And I think we did. Today, we're switching our focus back to the never-ending journey of motherhood. Yes, we are focusing on matrescence, the transition to motherhood, and we are also focusing on the maternal brain. Studies have shown that new mothers undergo changes in their brains that support developing mother-infant relationships. That makes sense, right? And if you can think about if you've had children, how your brain has changed, and maybe you're not specifically thinking about your brain, but how you have changed, that could be because of matrescence. These changes are called neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to change its structure, function, and activity in response to stimuli, both inside and outside of the body, during normal and not normal neural development throughout your life. So basically, it's the ability of your brain to just make changes to itself as it responds to your environment, your environment in the body and your environment outside of the body throughout your life. And the brain actually develops new pathways to help form the maternal infant bond. There are also abnormal changes to the maternal brain, which can result in, you guessed it, postpartum depression, postpartum, PTSD, and more. In this episode, I want to expand my expertise by inviting another expert to the show, Dr. Nikki Pinsack, PhD. She is a Harvard and Yale-trained clinical psychologist, author, and researcher specializing in treating postpartum mental health, anxiety, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, and depression. As a certified postpartum mental health provider and mother of two, she gets it. She understands the importance of treatment that is uniquely tailored to meet the needs of each client, to meet the needs of you, and understanding that all of us are different. Tune in as we discuss the experience of the caregiver, the mother, and her new book, Rattled. Let's go. 
Hello, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Heck, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I love when we have special guests, and we have a special guest today. Please welcome to the show, clinical psychologist and mental health and postpartum mental health researcher and new author, Dr. Nikki Pinsack. Welcome, Dr. Pinsack. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here and to see you again. Yes, I am so excited. So now I have to kind of explain how we know one another. Dr. Pinsack and I both presented at the TEDx Bethesda Women's Conference in October, and she gave a really awesome um, talk about postpartum mental health and that transition from, you know, being yourself to kind of going into motherhood and then dealing with things and managing all of that postpartum. And it was phenomenal. And I was like, okay, she needs to come on the show. (laughs) Well, the feeling was mutual because I loved hearing your talk as well and talking about the lady parts and the way that you were just normalizing everything. I thought this is really good information. I just loved it. So it was so much fun, really. Thank you. Yeah, we, we are all about normalizing because these are normal things that affect half of the population, mm-hmm. right? Did you see, this is a complete side note, but mm-hmm. the Golden Globes dress um, that Julian Anderson wore? You know, I saw the, the clips of it and I was, mm-hmm. yeah, so, and I've been sort of seeing the commentary afterward, but I didn't see it uh, live. So, yeah. Yeah, but you said, I mean, I just love that. I'm like, yes, please bring these things out. Like people need to see, they keep calling it vaginas, but they're vulvas. People need to see vulvas and normalize vulvas to the extent that we see a vulva and we know it's a vulva and not a vagina. 100%. 100%. And the way that you spoke about it so candidly and frankly in your TED Talk was amazing. I mean, I remember that because it just was like so funny and so spot on. (laughs) Well, thank you. I I was like, okay, I think that's going to resonate. But I want to talk to you because you have something that we're going to get to a little later, but something very special coming up that I can't wait to share with all the Lady Parts Doctor listeners. Before we kind of ease into the interview, one of my, like the last podcast I recorded at the end of the year, I talked with an influencer, Whitney Turner. She's a mompreneur. But I talked to her about that transition into motherhood when you go from like, this is what I think motherhood is going to be like to this is what motherhood is actually like. What did you think motherhood was like? Like, What were your thoughts about motherhood before you actually became a mother? Uh, before I became a mother, I just thought Mm -hmm. it would be an easy transition. Like it would be natural. I mean, we have all these images in our society and the way that, you know, the mothers before me, the way, the ones that I would look up to, it just seemed like there was not much discussion about it. There was not much preparation. It was more like preparing for the baby, but not preparing, becoming Mm. an actual mother. And so I guess because of the lack of conversation about it, I just assumed that it would be automatic and a lot of the things would be natural. Yeah. Um, So beforehand. So I was in for a bit of a a surprise um, and adjustment when I actually became a mother. Oh, I love that you mentioned that because I think even our partners just assume, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's a natural, like, oh, you just know what to do. And like when I brought my baby home from the hospital, I was like, oh, they're going to let me leave with me? what to do with this baby. But <laughs> anywho, to get started, I want to get into, you have such an amazing um, resume and I just want to kind of get into some of that. So you've studied and you've worked at some really amazing places like Yale and Harvard. And I want to know how have these experiences and what you've seen 
How have they influenced your approach to mental health care and especially your focus on behavioral medicine mm-hmm. um, and working with cancer patients? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have been fortunate enough to train at some of the nation's top academic medical centers and uh, have a lot of great mentors and research environments. And so I think being in different environments and working in this really heavy academic research environments taught me how to really discern the information that's out there and Mm -hmm. how to educate myself, how to read things, how to interpret things um, and what to take in. Because I think we're in this age of information overload with social media and whatnot. So I have, I'm really grateful for my background working at uh, these research institutions because I know what to look for and I know how to discern between what's quality information, what's the science and what's pseudoscience. Right. Right. Um, So that's just in general, but I spent a lot of my academic career working with patients with advanced cancer. And I feel like I just kept working with uh, populations that were sicker and sicker. So patients Mm -hmm. with cancer, uh, transplant, uh, cardiac illness, I even worked in a burn unit and then, uh, uh, my last uh, postdoctoral fellowship was working in palliative care. And mm-hmm. that's more quality of life when you're coping with um, chronic illness. And it can also be end of life care. And I mm-hmm. feel like that I really enjoyed the challenge of working with patients that were physically very limited or had very real physical health concerns. But despite that, despite their very real medical trauma, um, the ability to be able to help them, you know, feel better in the context of that and cope better. And there is a lot of room there, but it was like a mental challenge to do that. Um, And we have a lot of great evidence-based treatments that work with that. Um, And so as I was working with these patients with cancer, I got involved with them, but then I started noticing the silent patient in the room and that's their caregiver. Mm -hmm. And so I translated, you know, all of that work to working with the actual caregivers who are taking care of the patients uh, with medical illnesses. And more specifically, I developed an evidence-based cognitive behavioral stress management intervention for caregivers of patients with stem cell transplant. Okay. so long story short, the intervention helps these caregivers work with, um, take care of their patients that are going through a very, uh, you know, huge medical um, surgery. So they're basically destroying their immune system and building it back up. And so mm-hmm. in the first hundred days post bone marrow transplant, they're very vulnerable and the caregivers are responsible for taking care of them 24 seven, managing their meds and other, you know, instrumental tasks, uh, and then helping them to basically survive. And so fast yeah. forward, right, all of this uh, work in oncology and working with medical patients and caregivers, um, Around that time, I actually became a mother myself, and Mm -hmm. I realized that mothers are actually silent patients. Mothers Mm -hmm. are the silent patients in the room, right? Everyone's focused on the baby and keeping the baby alive, but who's holding the mother? And so, you know, having a patient uh, with uh, a weakened immune system for 100 days is not unlike those vulnerable first months of postpartum where you have a baby right. completely dependent on you and the mother is, you know, the, the family is responsible for keeping them safe, right? 
right. to get their vaccinations and all of that. But it's a lot. It's a lot of stress. And mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, a light bulb went off. And I was like, we don't have enough resources for mothers. And a lot of these evidence-based treatments that, you know, I, I had the privilege of, you know, developing and working with great teams and learning and becoming an expert. And I was able to translate to, to becoming a mother. And I was like, we, we need more resources for mothers. We, we need to focus on the mother. Oh, definitely. And I love that. I mean, as an OBGYN, I hand off the baby mm-hmm. and then I stay with the mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but like everybody goes mm-hmm. with the baby. Right. And, you know, even postpartum, of course, everybody comes to see the baby. Right. And especially in the predominant American culture, like we don't have a culture of people just surrounding the mom mm-hmm. to lift up the mom or that, you know, to lift up the birthing parent. We don't have that established. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. And that person is just there dealing and coping and expected to be able to figure it all out mm-hmm. on their own. So having those resources is Dude, I don't even have a word to describe how monumental that is and how important that work is. And you mentioned something else just about the ability to discern. Mm-hmm. There is so much information on social media and article. Like that is one thing I love about social media, right? Like we have a lot available, but that's also one thing I don't love is that there is so much and it's very difficult for people who aren't kind of steeped in the evidence, steeped in the research of a profession to know is is this what sh- what I should expect versus not and i think about that for example with um like the postpartum snapback or what is it? it's mm-hmm. not oh gosh why well, i'm blanking on the word not this it is a snapback yes the snapback like she's just all of a sudden going to be looking great mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people that spread that on social media but like yeah. until you're in it you would never know you would right. never be able to discern is this something that i should expect to happen right. and we need to have these conversations yeah absolutely about the realities of motherhood and you know what that transition looks like and what happens and how long it really takes to i don't even like to say bounce back or snap back cuz you're just a different person when you become a mother so it's more right. like say goodbye to that person and welcome to this transformation forward Right, right. And figuring out like, where's the space for her? Where does she fit in? What's her new norm? Um, That adjustment period is, is crazy. So with that said, you kind of touched on this already, but talking about um, the caregivers and focusing on them. And you talked a little bit about their, your system that you developed for helping people to deal with stress, the caregiver specifically. Can you talk a little bit more about that. And you said it was specifically for um, caregivers of patients who were undergoing stem cell um, transplants. But what is that applicable to people? Were you able to apply it to people who were just caregivers in general? Yes. So uh, for the intervention I developed, it was developed with the bone marrow transplant caregivers, but then it was also tested in a wider variety of caregivers. So phase one mm-hmm. clinical tri- trials, and then also just general cancer um, caregivers. Um, and then, but it's based off a of cognitive behavioral stress management, which is a widely applicable mm-hmm. model, right? To lots of different patients and caregivers alike. So um, I also, uh, you know, took tenants of cognitive behavioral therapy and applied those strategies as well. And I really took all of this knowledge together and put it into the book, Rattled, 
um, so that I could share the wisdom and the knowledge that I've gained from the science, but also from being an expert in treating mothers with postpartum. Cognitive behavioral therapy is an intervention that aims to reduce the symptoms of various mental health conditions, mainly depression and anxiety disorders. And it is one of the most effective tools for treatment of substance abuse and mental health disorders. So what happens during cognitive behavioral therapy? Basically, you and your therapist will analyze your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to figure out if they're unrealistic or unhelpful and to determine how they affect your life and other people around you. So what's an example of cognitive behavioral therapy? An example would be something like putting yourself in a situation that causes you anxiety. And maybe that would be, let's say, public speaking. And then journaling about your thoughts throughout that process of public speaking and your feelings about your thoughts. And then you would work through them with your therapist and talk about it. So that was just a good time to provide a little more information on that. Let's keep going. Right. And then also going through my own postpartum journey and, and being a mother as well. So it's sort of like a combination of all of this, you know, um, uh, wisdom and, and science, right, in, into an easily digestible format, right? Because where I spent all of my training in academia, um, reading, you know, peer reviewed publications, I realized the layperson doesn't do that. Um, right. However, and that was my frustration, right? So that's why I also wanted to put this book out there. Because even though I developed this intervention, um, it's it's sitting on the shelves in these peer reviewed journals, right? right. And, and so I really right. wanted to get this, this evidence based knowledge out there and apply it to uh, a population that needs it. Right. Because we're in a maternal mental health crisis and we definitely can do better to prepare mothers for motherhood and reduce the postpartum rates. And so there was really such a need for this. Um, And it was just like a natural uh, transition. The number of mothers managing postpartum depression and dealing with other mental health issues postpartum has been steadily increasing since the onset of COVID. And that is just one example of maternal mental health issues. This is why there is a new focus, a much needed focus on maternal mental health. So tell us more about Rattled. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, So Rattled is the book that I recently wrote, and I am so excited that it's going to be out in time for Mother's Day this year. And it's a combination of science and um, personal anecdotes of what I went through in my postpartum journey, as well as working with patients um, in an easily digestible format, but just to empower mothers right, to help calm new mom worries and uh, using the power of the postpartum brain to to thrive in motherhood. Um, it takes on more of an empowering approach instead of, oh, you know, um, while motherhood has its challenges and it's really hard, how do we use those challenges and brain changes and hormonal changes and emotional um changes as well to Mm -hmm. our advantage and how do we nurture that process more and set our mothers up for success. So can you share one of your postpartum experiences, maybe something that you talked about and rattled and how you felt maybe during that experience versus your perspective now, like looking outside from like the rattled perspective? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, with my second child, I had 
pretty severe postpartum, I would say postpartum crisis. And, you know, I went from crisis to thriving, and I think a relatively short period of time, so months, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the reason a lot of the reasons how that happened, I share in the book, but also how to set up other mothers uh, so that, you know, if and when they experience postpartum, they can go from rock bottom to, you know, really getting to the other side of that and thriving, no matter what they go through. Um, And part of that has been really hitting home the need for postpartum mental health treatment and setting Mm -hmm. them up you know, proactively, because right now the rates are one in three mothers will experience a postpartum mental health disorder, and uh, mm-hmm. which has increased since COVID. And so of course. whether mothers think they need it or not, that's one of the, you know, foundations that I that I talk about in, um, you know, in my TED talk and in rattled that just to set that up so that you have it if you need it, because how many mothers wait till last minute, There's, you know, I was one of them, with my mm-hmm. first child, I was like, you know, it's not going to happen to me, mm-hmm. right? I'm immune. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm an expert in treating anxiety and depression and OCD. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm protected. We're the, <laughs> right? like the worst caregivers of ourselves. Oh, the worst. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I was just like, Whoo, wow, that really, really <laughs> hit me hard. But, but I had all of the, all of the safeguards in place. So that when it did happen, I could at least, you know, follow my own guidance, right? And do the things I needed to do. I didn't have to scramble last minute to try to find a doctor because it takes months to try and find a mental health therapist and prescriber uh, to establish care, right? And Mm -hmm. so we don't want mothers to wait until they're in crisis to do this because we want them to have that seamlessly in place so they can reach out to their provider and they can get treatment right away, right? Right. Whether they think they'll need it or not, have that in place. That is one of the most important messages that I'm trying to get across. Yeah. Yes. I have to co-sign that, you know, a thousand percent. There are, I think so many people that need to be a part of our team and I'll, in, in life in general, right? But I'm going to focus specifically on motherhood, um, a therapist for a for all of those things, a mental health therapist that reasons that you discuss. And, you know, people, we don't think about it. Like when you're not depressed, mm-hmm. you can much more easily kind of look at the situ- a situation and assess and evaluate. Mm-hmm. You're more self-aware and you can say, oh, well, if this were to happen, I would do this and I would do this. And this is how I would go about getting a therapist. And But when you are depressed and you don't have motivation and you don't have energy and you're fatigued, trying to piece together something that can be very complicated for someone who is not depressed mm-hmm. is incredibly difficult. And then you add caring for a child or children on top of that. Right. Then you add the other physical body changes. Maybe you're still bleeding. Maybe you're nursing. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know all of those things make it way more complicated. And I have seen even too many moms who have a history of mental health mm-hmm. issues who don't have somebody lined up right. oh for postpartum. Right. Yeah, right? that's just like the most common risk factor that it's like, you know, at least for those people, absolutely. You want to make sure that's set up. And so, you know. Yeah. So that's one thing that I really stress as well. I'm like, okay, we need to reestablish or find somebody new during this pregnancy phase. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then the other therapist that I always recommend is a pelvic floor physical therapist. Like every pregnant woman and pregnant person needs to have a mental health therapist Mm -hmm. and a pelvic floor physical therapist. And this, it doesn't matter what kind of birth you have. It doesn't need to be a C-section. It doesn't need to be vaginal, but that's additional support and knowledge. But going back even just to the mental health, I remember before I had kids, Mm -hmm. women would come in and, you know, we just go through our postpartum depression scale Mm -hmm. and often people would start crying. Mm -hmm. And this is usually like this, maybe second within the first two weeks, you know, we're evaluating them during that baby blues. And then even coming back sometimes six weeks for that postpartum Mm -hmm. visit. Now we do more follow-up visits now that we recognize Mm -hmm. the importance of really following mothers and um, birthing parents through that postpartum journey. But I didn't really understand. I remember at the very beginning of my career as an attending, I didn't really understand that maybe they weren't depressed, you know, when Mm -hmm. they just bust out crying. I remember a patient of mine had twins and it's been six weeks. I'm just like, oh, how's it going? And it's just tears. And I'm like, okay, are you depressed? Not understanding that when you're going through that, it's really more like you're just overwhelmed. Absolutely. You're overwhelmed by everything and that it's, you know, it's not necessarily depression. So even having support groups Mm -hmm. or having friends, like, I don't know when, after you had your children, did you have other friends who were also moms and in that same stage with you that you could talk to? Yeah, luckily I I did. And that was really important. I think though with my second, it was during COVID. And so that made things incredibly challenging. Um, And so, you know, part of that safety net was, you know, taken away because I couldn't just, you know, hang out with the mom groups or the, you know, my mom Mm -hmm. friends, it was all, you know, over the phone or, you know, texting or social media and whatnot. And so um, that really made things more challenging. But I do think that it's really important to have you know, a village of other moms that are going through the same thing and looking for local mom groups and support groups um, and resources for that, that can be extremely helpful. Um, And with postpartum treatment, I would say, you know, it's not enough just to have the mental health therapist. You want the mental health therapist that specializes in postpartum so that they know what they're Mm. looking at. Because so many times I have others come into my practice and they've been through therapy, but either they were misdiagnosed or um, they were you know, it was written off as like, oh, this is just normal adjustments of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And where I see, you know, you scratch a little further in, in a diagnostic way and it's postpartum OCD, you know, it's not just the normal mom worries or it's not mm-hmm. the intrusive thoughts that 90% of new parents feel, right? So, um, so I think it's important to have that postpartum specialty and focus so that you know what you're looking at. Yeah, no, that's so true. Can you mention, this is something I've talked about before, mm-hmm. but can you talk a little bit about those postpartum intrusive thoughts? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So important, right? So I think it just comes with the stress of being completely responsible for a dependent being, right? So you have this new baby. And, you know, uh, so we know that about on average, 90% of new parents will have scary thoughts. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of good research out there and books on that. Um, And so it'll be like, what if I drop the baby? Or what if I accidentally harm the baby? I remember, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my husband walking in one day, and he's like, I think, I think I hugged, you know, our son too hard. And I was like, first of all, it was like adorable that you just said that. But, um, you know, I think it's natural, you know, you're, you're just, you, you, you're just so responsible for their physical safety, right. that you start thinking of everything in your brain is wired to be hyper vigilant and protect them. And so, so there's a part of that that's very natural and normal. And we, and we do want to validate that. 
Um, but then there's also what happens when it goes too far and when it's interfering with functioning or ability to, you know, connect with your child or uh, right. function or, you know, enjoy, enjoy your life, you know, as much as you can in the newborn phase. But yeah. So, yeah, I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot as well. Um, as OBGYNs, you know, we're a primary point of contact for new moms, new parents. And those intrusive thoughts. Yeah, I had a fear of dropping the baby. Oh, yeah. It was dropping the baby. And I just, you know, I'm thinking of many people like don't even want to hold your little baby mm-hmm. <laughs> just because they're so little right. and they're so fragile that you just have all of these fears. And if you've never, never had the experience of caring for something so fragile, and even if you have, like those postpartum mm-hmm. intrusive thoughts are so real. So, can you share a couple of tips or strategies that you found really effective? for helping new moms, new parents transition into the various phases of motherhood? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like to educate my patients on the brain changes that happen, just the normal uh, maternal brain changes, both the boosts and the ones that feel you know, different and negative. So we all know mm-hmm. the stigma of mommy brain and how they're going to feel foggy and forgetful. Well, we know that that experience is very real um, subjectively. But we know that in the research that there's not a lot of strong evidence for um, actual differences in memory functioning between mothers and non-mothers. So so while mothers can feel like they're functioning worse, I try to empower them to hang in there and to be curious about how their brain is actually changing. And I say it's the brain changes are Marie condoing your mind to give you a leg up <laughs> in caregiving. And so let them do their thing and reorganize as you adjust and I like that. You feel different, right? So what was once where you would have long stretches of being able to concentrate on one thing and one single thing, you know, becoming a mother is like, you know, having a, a million competing needs at once, right? And it's relentless. And so your brain is just getting used to adjusting to all of that. Um, and so to give yourself compassion and patience with that process and to be curious about how is it going to work for you now and what what do you need to adjust? And so that's that's one thing in general that I that I speak to my patients about. And in the book, I talk about matrescence and the maternal brain changes so that mm-hmm. you can be educated and prepared of what does this look like and what what is happening. Uh, and then I think it's also just as a general rule for mothers to be really as flexible as possible, right? Mm. Every um, hiccup and every developmental stage. I mean, when you become a mom, it's all new learning, right? You've never had a child before. And even you have to learn your child. And then even if you've done it before, and this is your second child, you haven't been a mom of two children. So right. like, it's really all new learning. And once you feel like you've mastered one phase, it's like, they're on to the next developmental phase. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm constantly working with my patients and talking about in the book the importance of being flexible and renegotiating with yourselves and your partners what that means for you. So maybe, you know, the delegation of tasks, or maybe you just prefer one phase to another. And it's like, how do you uh, adjust mentally without torturing yourself with mom guilt or mom shame, right? And um, and have those assertive conversations and problem solve around that. Yeah, that, I mean, for type A people, I think that Mm. flexibility, it's so hard because you like to feel like, okay, I've gotten all of this down. I know how to do this. I can get this done. I'm very efficient. And then 
there's a change. Right. And then it's like, ah, uh, all over again. And, you know, that is incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then the guilt, you guilt yourself, but then other people feel very comfortable guilting you. Yeah, there's no shortage. There's no shortage oh. of mom guilt and mom shame out there, right? Not at all. I think, you know, live with public, being in the public, being on social media, but that is something, you know, cause it's like, I don't need you to guilt me. I feel guilty. Right. I, know. <laughs> I already feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prioritizing myself, prioritizing my needs, making space for me, making time for me. Um, that's something like I, I grant myself permission to mm-hmm. just focus on me again as an individual without feeling guilty. So that flexibility I, I love that. I co-sign that as well. Yeah. Just stressing the importance of it. And I just want to know, is there anything else that you would like to share with the Lady Parts Doctor listeners? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, no, I mean, um, well, so in terms of the mom guilt, I mean, I, I go into depth about this in in Rattled and and give like really hands on strategies as well as, uh, you know, a broader frame to think about things. And I really think of the book as a thought partner for mm-hmm. mothers to empower them and to refer to um uh, during this adjustment and to help them, you know, think about things uh, with with a different perspective and, and with um, a more discerning lens, right? And how to be better consumers of the information that we're bombarded with on a daily basis um, right. and how to protect their brain and mental health during this process. And to understand that this is a huge opportunity, right? Um, becoming a mother has great Uh, brain changes, neuroplasticity. And with every opportunity, there are also risks and tons of landmines in the way. Mm -hmm. So postpartum mental health concerns, there's traumatic births, which we didn't even get into. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much, right. Um, And we, I just want, we just want the process to go better for moms and, and to go right. It doesn't have to be a perfect, we don't need a perfect mom, but we do need a process, right? We, we, we can do a lot better with setting our moms up with, with more support and to make this process go, go smoothly. No, definitely. And it sounds like even just the way that you described it, that yes, this would be a great gift. Like the book would be a great gift for a new mom, Mm -hmm. but also it might be a great gift to give someone who is very close to a new mom, you know, someone who is supporting and caring for a new mom, like a partner. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I talk about relationship changes in the book as well and division of labor, um, how to understand postpartum, how to understand, you know, the uh, mom rage, mom shame, mom guilt, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. back to work transition. So it really is a great resource for both expecting moms, new moms, moms of littles and their partners as well. So, you know. Well, you just said one thing that I'm like, we can't just kind of mention that and not like talk about it at all, but mom rage. Mm. Can you just say something about mom rage for the people who have Ooh. never heard the term mom rage before? But I, I'm going to suspect that if you're a mom, even if you've never heard that term, you're like, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> oh, well, I think, you know, before you become a mom, you, you well, well, I won't get into that, but I will say that there's this famous writer, Anne Lamott, and I remember reading some of her work. She wrote on early motherhood, and she said, one of her quotes, and I, I even quote it in Rattle, she says, be prepared to dance with your feelings. And mm-hmm. I feel like that really hits it in terms of you are going to um, be introduced 
to levels of emotions that you Mm. may not have encountered before. Mm -hmm. And mom rage is one of those. And it can be rather, you know, startling or or even just frightening. Wow, like I didn't know that my body could feel like that. I could be so incensed with rage and go from zero to 100. And as, you know, a psychologist, you know, we really frame it as it can be a symptom of postpartum depression and anxiety and being overwhelmed right? Mm -hmm. And we there's also, um, you know, we also think of it, it can be related to the hormone changes as well. So from a professional standpoint, that's where that's where we kind of couch it. Um, But but there's a lot of hype out there with mom rage, right? And there's a lot of misinformation about it. So we do want to pay attention to it. There are actual, you know, treatment, if there is an underlying depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. that can help reduce the mom rage as well, the frequency and severity. And so we do want to pay attention to it as a potential symptom, but know that it's also a very, uh, just, um, I would say common part of being calm <laughs> when you're just overwhelmed and stressed and going through hormone yeah. changes. So I don't want to pathologize it also, but you know, right. we, we want to think about it in, in these, in these ways. So to yeah. help mothers. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dr. Pinsack for coming and joining us on the show. Where can people pick up a copy of Rattled? So they can pick it up um, at any major bookstore. Uh, so it's at Barnes and Nobles. It's also on Amazon. Uh, the audiobook will be available later on, but right now pre-orders are open, and you can get it on my website as well, www.drnapolamoyalpensac.com. But you know, it's it's easy. It's right on, right on Amazon. And if they want to connect with you, social medias. Absolutely. You can see me. Uh, you can connect with me on Instagram at, at, at Dr. Nikki Pensack. Uh, and then you can always email me as well. I have my contact info on there, but also support your local bookstores. Love it. Well, thank you again. <laughs> I know we'll have to have this conversation. It's great seeing you again. So fun. Yes. On the same uh, you know, mission. Yes. Supporting moms through this transition. I think as two moms, Mm -hmm. we get it. Like we understand. All right. Thank you very much for coming today. Thank you. Wasn't that a fabulous conversation? If you're interested in buying and pre-ordering your copy of Rattled, there will be a link to Dr. Pensack's website where you can pre-order. And that is going to be on ladypartsdoctor.com under the podcast guests tab. I really hope that you enjoyed it and that you're leaving with just a little more information. And if you have had that experience or if you're going through it, that you just find a little peace in your new understanding. We have so many great topics coming up. I have a number of interviews and discussions coming up from discussions about heart health in our 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, a discussion about intimacy and healthy relationships. We really have a lot going on with the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please, wherever you listen, don't forget to leave a positive review. That five-star review lets everybody who is our people, our people need to know where to find us and to know that we are having this conversation. So when you leave your review, it lets them know. And then also if you leave something that you liked and something that you enjoy about this particular episode or the podcast in general, that helps them know that this is for them and do that wherever you're listening. Also subscribe to the newsletter at ladypartsdoctor.com where you can join the tribe and you'll be the first to know about the upcoming episodes and the resources and offerings 
through lady um through lady parts doctor and finally the youtube channel which is also at lady parts doctor and have we connected yet if we haven't connected be sure to follow me on tiktok or instagram or threads i'm at lady parts doc l-a-d-y-p-a-r-t-s-d-o-c and if you are old-fashioned and let me not call you old-fashioned but if you're an email lover like some of us are you can email me at dr hack d-r-h-a-c-k at ladypartsdoctor.com there you can send me messages stories questions and ideas about the show and upcoming episodes i love when you do that i really love when you do that and i always respond until next time mm-hmm.